And we're going to read verses 12 to 18 of James. James 1, 12 to 18 is what we'll read. <clears throat> and we're going to look at the, the, the thought of the Father of good gifts, the Father of good gifts, and that is God. James 1, <clears throat> I need to get my glasses here, so I survived the men's split session without it, but I don't know if I can this time, okay. All right, let's read this, the Word of God today. It mentions the idea of God being a gift giver. Let's look at the context. James 1, verses 12 to 18. <clears throat> Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's ask God sincerely to teach us today. Good to see everybody today. Let's pray. Lord, we're glad that we can possibly assemble as we um, have already said thank you uh, about that earlier. We thank you that we can sing. We thank you for the pleasant music. It is a, a blessed thing to have music. And thank you for um, the fellowship we can enjoy in this day. And thank you for, though it's a man tradition that has placed it in uh, the cycles of the year, uh, we're thankful for Christmas and that it reminds us of you. And it's certainly based on an evident a truth of your birth. And we thank you for uh, this time of year. And I pray that you would teach us today and uh, turn on the light in our mind, in our understanding. First and foremost, let us see you more clearly and understand you um, better. And then to act upon who we know you to be. I ask your blessing as I teach your word and admonish your people and help them see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so the passage here, the theme is about gifts. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Gift. Some of us, again, Christmas time, gift-giving season. Some of you are like, I don't like it. I don't believe in it. That's fine. You don't want to do Christmas. You have every right, even as a Christian, not to celebrate it. There's no injunction or imperative in the Bible that says thou shalt celebrate Christmas. You do need to acknowledge that Jesus was born, though, and that he was born of a virgin, else you're not even a Christian in the first place. But you don't have to celebrate Christmas. Uh, most people do, and it's I'm bringing it up because it's a time of giving and sharing gifts one to another. Of course, we go to an extreme in this country in how we do it. Um, but whether you... Um, uh, believe in doing the Christmas or not, one thing that we see is true in Scripture is that the Scripture speaks of a father, an earthly father, as being a gift giver. 
Jesus mentioned that when he was trying to teach the disciples to pray. He says, hey, isn't it like when you go to your dad, you ask your dad for a fish. Is he going to give you a stone? You ask him for an egg. Is he going to give you a serpent? No, Jesus says, you know your dads are, even though they're evil, they're sinners, they still know how to give gifts to their children. Jesus acknowledged the fact that it's, it's a natural behavior for a father to give freebies to the kids. Uh, my dad was a great gift giver to me uh, growing up, um, especially on Christmas time. I, I really enjoyed the gifts my dad gave. Sometimes I liked in between Christmas just the, the gifts he would give. And I, I thought, I literally thought my dad could pull a Cocoa Puff from behind, his, behind my ear. I, you know the old trick? You know the old man, come here, boy. Hey, oh, what's you got candy there? I know some of you guys, older guys, try to pull that on some of the kids. My dad pulled that on me. He was in his 20s. I was in my fives. And uh, he felt like five years old. And uh, he, he'd say, he, he'd say, what's this? He, he, oh, my favorite cereal, Cocoa Puff. You know, he'd give me a little Cocoa Puff. Well, how'd you do that? He goes, hold on a minute. He reached over to my belly button and be like, oh, there's another one. I'm like, and I literally believed he was pulling Cocoa Puffs out of my body. And this is the truth. Of course, I figured it out after I was 15. Uh, no, just kidding. I figured it out a little, uh, probably a year later, honestly. But I got, I read this, this is the truth. I distinctly remember thinking, wow. And I distinctly remember going back to my dad. He'd come home from work and I'd be like, can you, can you get another Cocoa Puff for me? I literally thought he could do it. I'm like, how does he do that? You know, I thought, well, he's, he's just such a good gift giver, you know, and, and uh, give me a Cocoa Puff on the spot. And then I figured it out. It's not true. So, um, but, you know, for Christmas, dad had good gifts. I remember, I don't know, eight or nine. See, I hate telling this story because these stories, because my boys are looking at me like, why don't you do that? You know, these things I'm going to tell. I, I remember coming out, down from out of our room, me and my two younger brothers and going uh, into the living room and there was a motorcycle in my living room, it was little, it was like this big, you know, it was a Yamaha 50, a little motorcycle, yellow, and I'm like, wow, and I got on there, I mean, they still have pictures of me on it, I was probably in my underwear, you know, and I'm like, yeah, get this, you know, and, they, and dad got me a little motorcycle, and I rode it around the field that used to be by our house, and just spent hours out there riding in a field, that was a lot of fun, I remember that gift, such a, such a blessed thing for me as a kid, good outlet, get outside, and um and there was other things that you know, we got for my birthday. And so uh, it, it is good. It's natural. It's not unusual for a father to be a good gift giver. Now, he may not, one father may not be able to give as well as another, but it's a, it would be unnatural for us not give freebies, gentlemen. It's unnatural to not give freebies out to our kids, you know. Um, well, God the Father, that's, a, that's an image of how God the Father is. He gives out freebies. He gives out gifts. And that's just the simple thought we're going to hover around here this morning. Now, let's look at here uh, the passage. Let's just give the passage a little bit of uh, justice here on the context. Um, this passage in verses 12 to 18 tell us that there are some things from God and there's some things that are not from God. It says that there's some things that are from God and there's some things that are not from God. And you shouldn't err in your understanding of that. Uh, don't make any mistake. Here's the first thing. Some things are not of God. Verse 13 this is not of God. This is not what he gives. Uh, verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted. Now, this temptation means in the sinful sense, not in a trial sense. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Nobody should be able to say, hey, um, 
God's trying to allure me. God's trying to get me to sin. Or God's sending this immoral alluring to my path. And, oh, why, how, why, should, why would God ever do that? No, don't any, let anybody say that when I am tempted to sin, I'm tempted of God. It, it came from God who sent that. No, God doesn't send those things. And the idea is he doesn't send immoral appeals like that. Now, in the previous verses of chapter 1, verse 2 of chapter 1, my brethren, counter all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That word temptation is used in another sense, in the sense of just hardship, difficulty. And James says, hey, you know, don't um, uh, that, that, that works together for your good if you... Um, respond rightly to it. It helps you increase in your um, in patience and in good character. But this is in another sense, temptation to sin. God's not going to tempt you to steal. God's not going to tempt you to be immoral or to lie. He's not going to tempt you to do those things. If you feel drawn to tempt, uh, drawn to steal, lie, be immoral, blaspheme, or whatever, name all the sins. If you feel drawn to do that. It's not because of God in the picture. It's because of the, you already have a sinful world. We have Satan out there, and you have sinful flesh. And our lusts can be activated over the worst things. And that's what it says there. Every man's tempted, verse 15, um, verse 14. Every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So the Bible says there's evil out there. And sometimes our lusts, our desire, we desire evil. Why do I desire evil? That's weird. Why do I desire that? Well, Paul acknowledged that he desired it. His old sinful flesh desired it in Romans 7. He says, the good that I would do, I don't do. And the evil that I would not do, I want to do. And he acknowledged that there's this sinful side of him that can be activated and drawn toward sin and, and cave into temptation. Well, the Bible says that that's what happens, that can happen to us when we yield to our lust. We're drawn away of our own lust. We're enticed. And it just tumbles downhill from there, as it says in verse 15. But the point is, I'm trying to tell you, in this passage, James says, you know, God doesn't send that. God doesn't send the temptation to sin. God doesn't send evil in that sense of trying to get you to uh, be immoral or unrighteous. No, that's, that's, the, that's the cause and effect processes of your own sin nature interacting with this world. That's you. Don't err. Don't go astray here. And don't go astray understanding this next thing, that every good gift... Good things come from God. Every good gift, verse, 9, verse 17, and every perfect gift are from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's saying this, that we need to recognize that some things are of God. That is, the good, the beneficial gifts, perfect, that means complete gifts. They are of an unchanging God. God does not change in the sense of he's... He, he, he's, uh, his character is different one time than it is another time. God is unchanging. Do you ever feel like that you're changing? You know, some of you guys, you wake up and you're like, you're not the same guy as you were yesterday. You got a different attitude. You got a different mentality. And the next day you're better. You know, we change, don't we? <clears throat> All may change, but Jesus never, the song says. Um, we, we fade. We flip-flop. Our, our, some of us, like... <clears throat> Some of us, we get along pretty good in here, you know. And then on Monday morning, if we were to meet you, you'd be like, man, you're not the same guy you were yesterday. You know, we, it's just that we're, we're prone to change as human beings. And, and I'm not saying we should be like that. We should try to fight against it and try to be faithful in our, in our character and our treatment of others. But the point is, is God doesn't change. 
He's a good gift giver. And so what I'd like to do is, um, and we, need, we won't look at every scripture, but I'm going to mention gifts of God, okay? That is where the Bible says, he giveth, and you fill in the blank. So we're going to consider several gifts of God. What does God give? Motorcycles? Um, you know, you know um, what are the core things that God gives? And here's the first thing. Uh, and I'm not going in any particular order, um, but let's acknowledge this. Psalm 136, verse 25, quick, short verse. Psalm 136, verse 25. The psalmist here tells us the first thing in our list of what God gives. In his psalm, he begins the psalm by saying, Hey, people, praise the Lord. Give thanks for... And he starts naming off all these reasons to give thanks to the Lord in Psalm 136. And one of them is this. Psalm 136, verse 25. Why? Who giveth food to all flesh. That's good that he gives food to all flesh. He gives food to all flesh. Now, it's saying it in the sense that God has made available food out there in nature. He gives food to all flesh. He ca- who causes the grass to grow? Who causes the, ultimately causes the grain to, to, to uh, develop? Who causes the, the apple tree and the pear tree and everything else to uh, grow and pollinate and bud and come to fruition? Who causes that? Ultimately, God does. We kind of do things to facilitate that, but God gives food to all flesh. Um, he, I'm glad God made cows because I like to eat them. You know, I told you the story of one of my sons. He said, um, we were talking here at church one time. There was another man in our church that liked to hunt. And I was like, hey, what do you hunt? And he's like, oh, javelina, oh, this and that. And my son Gideon was sitting there. He's little. He's listening to us talk about different, different things this guy likes to hunt and eat. He hunts javelina, eats it. Hunts deer, eats it. Um, hunts whatever, uh, dove, eats it. And Gideon's listening to him talk, and he's watching me talk to him. And then when the guy walked away, he goes, Dad, when I go hunting, I'm going to shoot me a cow. You know, <laughs> That's what he liked to eat. I'm like, that's a good idea, but I don't know if we'll be able to do that. Um, I like to, I'd like to do that too. But God gives food. He gives us food. Now, you say, Pastor Henry, some people are starving out there. Some people don't have food. And that's true. And it's because there's some barrier between them and the food that's still out there in this world. God still has it available. And um, sometimes there's a barrier between people who are hungry and the food that's out there. And as, as Christians, it is, uh, it is reasonable for us to step in and try to bring, bridge that gap between. And it, it's mostly outside of this country. I mean, we say, I know there's some hunger in this country, but in a lot of places of the world, there are people that go hungry, and we can be intercessors in that sense of helping to feed hungry people and giving toward it or whatever. But the food is out there. God does give food, and that's a gift. Number two, this is going to be interesting. Maybe some of you haven't thought of it, but I'm convinced of this, that number two, God gives a day off. He gives you the right to have one vacation day a week. Exodus 16, 29. I'm not going to turn there, but you can see it where he tells the children of Israel, even before Mount Sinai, before they got the Ten Commandments, he told the children of Israel, hey, I'm giving you the Sabbath. This is why the Lord gave you the Sabbath, so you could rest after six days and not work the seventh. And I gave you that day of rest so that you're going to go out there and find your manna and it won't be rotten. Or you're going to have the manna you saved from the day before, that is, and it won't be rotten. I'm going to prove myself 
trustworthy with one vacation day off a week. God gives Sabbath. I can't figure out all the implications of how, what is it, that the fourth command is the Sabbath? I can't figure out all the implications of how that works in the New Testament, except for this one particular thing, that when God, at the beginning in creation, made everything in six days, he purposely made another day and did nothing and set it as an example to us before there was a Mosaic law. And he said, and he said an example, see, I'm going to let you do this as well. You can work six days and you just let go on a seventh day. You have the right to have one day off a week. That is a gift of God. Some of us were running ourselves into the ground because we need to accept by faith that gift of, you know, I need to just clear my thing and say, I'm taking a day off. I know I'm going to get more emails. I know I'm going to get calls. I know I'm going to get people wanting to do this or that, but I'm just going to take a day off by faith. Whatever day that is, whether it's today or tomorrow, the day before, we have a right to take a Sabbath, apply the Sabbath on a particular day, one a week, and do it by faith and do it in thanks to God. You can say, thank you, God, for you're giving me the right to not answer these calls today. Thank you, Lord. You're giving me the right to not do much today. I mean, I'll, I'll wipe my face and I'll, I'll, I'll wash my dish when I'm done eating. But, you know, God's given us the right to just let go one day a week because that's what he did. And that's based on Exodus 16, 29 and in the whole creation pattern in Genesis 2. In the end of Genesis 1, heavens and the earth were finished and God uh, rested on the seventh day. And that's, he set that pattern for us. That's a nice gift. Number three, again, no particular order, but we can never forget this. What is another gift? Food, Sabbath. And number three, eternal life. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says it very plainly. Where it contrasts death and life, where it says the wages, that's what we've already earned. The wages of sin is death. If you've ever sinned, then you've earned something. A payment's coming. You're going to die. <clears throat> the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the third gift in our list, not in importance, certainly not in importance, but in our list is eternal life is a gift. Eternal life is, I mean, Will and Joe kind of sang it to that gist of come take, come have, come accept by faith, by a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, a free gift of having eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through a person, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is not in a church. It's not even a gift of a church. It's not in um, a church leader or the gift that a church leader, just because a church leader sprinkled you or baptized you or put their hands on you, they did not give you eternal life. It's not a gift in that sense, nor does a church by confirming you. It's a gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is, every person needs to come, whether they ever darken the doors of a church, every person needs to come to a faith relationship with Jesus Christ and embrace him, understanding what he did on the cross for him and he rose again, and embrace them, him by faith as their Savior. And once a person embraces Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they have eternal life, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when Jesus was sitting at the, at the well in John 4, and there's a woman at the well, Samaritan woman, most people shunned her, and Jesus talked with her uh, out in the open, and she was surprised that he was even conversing with her. And, and he got her to think about water, and, and he says, I'll, if you knew the gift of God, and he it is that talks with you and is asking you for water, 
the, then I would have given you uh, uh, living water and you would be able to live forever. And she's like, give me this gift. And he basically says, I am that gift. I am the gift of God. I am the living water. If you take of me, you'll never thirst again, he says to her. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then number four, another. let's walk through these gifts. There's eight total in the list. Not that that's the only ones. But number four, here's another gift to think about. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 7 and 8. And by the way, this gift is mentioned several times in the New Testament. And that is a spiritual talent, a spiritual gift, a spiritual ability that is handed from God to you. Not something you earned or, or anything, but a spiritual gift. Okay, Ephesians 4, 7 and 8. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. The Bible says here, unto every Christian, talking about Christians, is given a certain, you all, we, all have, um, we all have at least one spiritual gift. That is an ability to do something for God that maybe just didn't come naturally when you were born, but it came after your have a spiritual gift, an ability to do something for God, for God's work that he gave us after you were saved. Now, what it says is that he's given a measure of it. That is, some people might have more than one, but we all have at least one spiritual gift. Um, in, the, in the language, he quotes the Old Testament, where the Old Testament predicted Jesus rising from the dead and leading captivity captive. That is, he was the one who can release people from hell. And when Jesus ascended 2,000 years ago, he gave gifts to men. That is, after that, after that point, spiritual gifts were given to men who would, who would trust him as their Savior. He gave gifts unto men. Um, that's what it says. And so, do you know your spiritual gift? <clears throat> if you don't, ask God to show it to you. Uh, do a little study on it. And there's some in Romans 12, there's a little bit in 1 Peter 4, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, look in the Bible. Say, what is my spiritual gift? You may see it named specifically in the, in the New Testament. Or it could be something that you are already inclined to do. You already have a strong desire to do, and you seem to be effective doing it uh, for people or, and or in God's work. That's likely your spiritual gift. But I just want you to know, don't leave a gift unwrapped. God has given you something to use for him um, in his work, a spiritual gift. Number five, <clears throat> children are a gift. Children are a gift. Now, the Bible does say the word reward in Psalm 127.3, where it says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the room is his reward. That is, um, God gives that. He gives the uh, the the blessing of a person being able to have children of the womb opening up. Psalm 127.3, children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Um, God is the one who holds. Now, we know the biological activity. We know the biological process. But God's still the one that causes it to happen. He opens and closes wombs as he sees fit. He gives life. He gives children. 
The opposite is true. Genesis chapter 30, verse 2, Rachel and Jacob. Now, Jacob had one too many wives. Leah was having a lot of kids. Jacob's other wife, whom he met to get the first time, who he thought he was the prettiest, Rachel, wasn't having any kids. And Rachel's getting frustrated with her husband, Jacob. And Jacob's probably getting frustrated. Man, man I should have married only one. And anyways, all these kids are popping up except with, with, with Rachel. And Rachel finally goes to Jacob and says, give me children or I die. And Jacob's, Jacob got really mad. He goes, am I God who openeth and closeth the womb? what he says am i can i can i control this whole deal here i'm not i'm not the one opening or closing your womb the point is he says he realizes god can close that womb that is that block that process where a child is conceived and or he can allow it it's just a matter of fact it's just a matter of fact and god so god is the one who gives children that's number five number six let's move along here acts 238 let's look at another gift Acts 2.38. And we hear the message of salvation that Peter is preaching, and he tells his Jewish hearers that uh, they will get eternal life and they will get the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38. They said, what are we supposed to do, Peter? And he gives them the whole deal. He tells them, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Tell them the whole process of, you want to know the whole deal? Get saved. And get baptized right now, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. Now, if we never get baptized, you will still have the Holy Spirit. Peter's just telling them the whole package, though, on what the Jews, they wanted to know what to do. And he says, do all this. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So what I'm saying today is once you believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior, you received eternal life, but you also received another gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. You have the Holy Ghost in you. You didn't have to do something else after you believed. You didn't have to like work yourself up into speaking in tongues or do some crazy thing or even do the baptism itself. That didn't merit it. It's a gift having the Holy Spirit. Isn't it nice having a friend with you to accommodate you places? You know, if you go on a hike, it's nice having a friend hike with you. If you go on a bike ride or a walk, it's nice having a friend with you. Uh, a companion, the word, there's a word in the New Testament, paraclete, para meaning parallel, kletos is like a person who coaches or admonishes you. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete or the comforter. And we have a God-given friend, not just here, but here when you're saved, we have the Holy Spirit of God with us. We should be glad about that. That is, that is a blessing to have the gift of God's Holy Spirit with us till the day we die. He will not leave us. Number seven, two more, two more gifts we want to mention. This is interesting. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Here's another gift that is mentioned more than once. It's not some obscure passage that we're using, only found only one time. This is used several times in Ecclesiastes, and it is this. The writer shows that our opportunity to enjoy the fruits of your labor is a gift of God. Opportunity to enjoy the fruits of your labor 
is a gift of God. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13. He says, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, verse 13, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Now that's said uh, at least two more times in Ecclesiastes. What is it saying? What did we just read? <laughs> He's very kind of, he has kind of these different, kind of a different mindset, the writer of Ecclesiastes, but he's trying to see something positive here. And he says, it is, it is a blessing from God that a man just goes to work, he gets his paycheck, he buys his things, he enjoys his meals and his days off and his new couch. And it's good for that guy to just enjoy that meal, that new couch, and that's you know, big screen television. It's good for him to enjoy the fruit of his labor. That's the gift of God. That whole process is a gift of God. Now, you shouldn't go overboard and be uh, hyper-materialistic and so on. But, you know, the idea of us men and, late, men and women, you go to work, you earn a paycheck, you, you need to steward it. It's okay to buy a little extra thing for yourself. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy your nice meal, enjoy your little apartment and whatever it is, and just, ah, you don't have to feel guilty about it. You don't have to feel like I'm supposed to be some kind of monk dressed in a potato sack, living in a cardboard box. You know, you don't, you don't need to feel guilty. If God's given you that ability to work and make a little bit, then enjoy that and say, thank God. You should praise God for labors. He's glorified in that. And then the last thing, not the last in our list, but the last in our list, um, there's more, that is, that you can find in the Bible. Let's look in Acts chapter 17, and we're going to see another thing that God gives. It's very obvious, but we shouldn't forget it. Acts 17, 25. Paul is in a speech here with these uh non-Christian Athenians, and he's telling them some basics about God. And in Acts 17, 25, he says that God is not worshipped with men's hands, that is, using carved images, as if he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Paul's talking to these guys. He says, you guys, use, you guys look at these little statues and these idols and these carved images. Now he's saying, wait a minute, who gave those things uh, form? You formed them. You made them. And you gave them an eye, but the eye can't see. You gave them an ear, but the ear can't hear you. Give them a mouth, but the mouth doesn't talk back to you. He says, God doesn't need that. God gives life and breath. And it's the opposite. God gives to you life and breath and all things. He says, it's good for us to remember that, last of all, God gives life and breath in all things. It's, isn't it nice? I mean, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans didn't have anything to do with giving us oxygen. Now, I know some of the Democrats say the Republicans want to get rid of oxygen because of all the fuel stuff, whatever. But you know what? It's out there. Thank you, God, for the oxygen. Some of you are saying, yeah, open the door. I need some right now. I don't know. If you do, then just go one, open one of the doors. But aren't you glad? God gives us breath. He's got the oxygen in the air. I was born, and the first thing I did was take in one of God's gifts. 
<sighs> you know, that's what I did when I was born. He gives us breath. He gives us life. He gives that, he keeps that, that ticker ticking, that, that heartbeat going. Of course, we are, we're bound to die because that's what happens when we're sinners, but he's given us life still, and, and he causes those, um, uh, see, I, see I'm, they're already going old on me, you're, you're, our neurons to work in our brain and everything, and, but, but until we age and everything. But isn't it amazing? He's given us life and breath, and it's a gift of God. It's not something that we can say, well, you know, it's a good thing that person did. No, God gives those things on all things. So really what this is saying is a couple things as we conclude. As we look at this, the, the first priority is we think about the fact that God's a gift giver of, of a rest and of and of, of food that he gives and all these other things. The idea is, first of all, it implies that, first of all, we should accept the gift of eternal life if we have not. Accept the gift of eternal life. Now, I know I'm speaking mostly to Christians, but I don't want to ever take it for granted that you have truly accepted the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Any more than I would tell somebody, hey, double check under the tree. Make sure you opened all the gifts. My, that's happened to us, you know, in certain years where we open all the gifts. and like, wait, wait, let's double check. Wait, let's make sure we opened all the gifts. Look in there. You know, my dad one year purposely um, hid a gift um, for my mom, I think in the tree, and went and got it, and it was like a ring or something. Another year, my dad, mom and dad purposely, we thought we had opened up all the gifts. Uh, me and my brothers, I was probably seven or eight we had a pile of papers in our little living room before they remodeled the house and pile of wrapping paper and i'm sitting there and we thought we'd opened all the gifts and my dad's like what's that thing right there by you i was like what thing is that thing right there by you there's a little note and it's like a little note I'm like what is this it had a string tied to it i'm like what is this oh follow the string so i was like wow that I'd opened all my gifts, you know. So I followed this string. I don't, it didn't go too far, but it went a few places. And where's the string going? Where's the string going? And the string went out to the garage door, and I opened the garage door, and there's a brand new bike. Yes! Brand new shiny bike in there. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad I didn't leave that gift undiscovered. They wouldn't have let me. They'd be like, hey, kid, get over there, you know. But, you know, um, I just want us to think about, like, I want to recognize and appreciate all God's gifts. When you eat today, say, oh, God, thank you for food. Now, don't be eating junky stuff. But say, thank you for food. God, thank you for air. That's a gift. Thank you you gave me some kids. Help me raise them. You know, thank you that, you know, there's more things in the Bible um, that we could reflect on. But most of all, if you haven't accepted eternal life, then you've left the most important gift unwrapped. Eternal life, accepting that is as simple as humbling yourself and acknowledging Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for you and confessing with your mouth that you believe on him and he will save you. And then the next implication, the first implication is that we need to accept his gifts, accept especially the gift of eternal life. And the last implication is this, we need to reflect God's giving nature. We need to reflect, as we look at the fact, back in James, every good and every perfect gift is from a good father, the father of lights, the one who made the stars, the one who doesn't change himself. The fact that God's like that, the implication is I need to reflect God then in my life in being at some level, at some way, whether it's actually on Christmas or not, in some way, generous and a gift giver. Why? Not so that people merely pat me on the back, but 
always to reflect God. Whatever God is to you, God need, wants to be through you. If God's gracious to you, God, you want God needs to be. You want you need to let God to be gracious through you. If God has been generous to you, let God be generous through you. If God's been merciful to you, God wants to be merciful through you. Whatever God has been to you, He wants to be through you for His glory, especially in this area of being a gift giver. And everybody can be a gift giver and generous, even if you have very, very little, you can still be generous and giving. In fact, some of the most precious things I have received was when, you know, you go to, I went to, when Jose, Brother Jose and I went to um, Mexico a few years back, and for three days, and uh, with Brother Brother Dora, and there, there's several people very poor down there, and um, they kept giving to us, like, stop, stop, you know, I, they gave us a love I did not expect. They gave us a love offering when we left. And Brother Dor came up to me. He goes, Brother, they want to give this to you, and you need to take it. I'm like, oh, man, you know. So I, I felt bad because they didn't have as much as us. But we took it because it was complimenting them by taking it. It was, it was, it was saying more of them than it was of us by us taking it. And uh, we were blessed by it. And it was a blessing to see their, them reflect that generous nature of God in their life. So... Have you accepted God's gift? Do you appreciate God's other gifts? And are you reflecting his generous nature through you? That's what we're called to do. Let's thank the Lord for our time. Lord, you're very good to us.